Content, information, and opinions expressed during the related show are those of the show personalities and guest alone, and not those of Vic Canellis Media Group, its parent, affiliates, or stations. VCMG Live is not responsible for any content, information, or opinions expressed. User bears full responsibility for their reliance on such content, information, or opinions. Monday night time once again for Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Great show on tap for you as always, Ira. Live and in the studio. We had the tape last week because you were getting ready to do a ton of traveling, you know, cross-country traveling, and but you you made it back in here today, so we appreciate that. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I, I flew to Orange County, flew to LAX, and then flew out of Orange County, but then my my flight doesn't make it in terms of on a connection, so I had to take an Uber from Orange County to LAX at like rush hour, which is not the funnest thing, and then take an <laughs> overnight Spirit flight from Spirit from LAX to uh, Pittsburgh to get ready for all these games this weekend that I went to. And I was so tired from it that when I landed, my rental car wasn't able until 7 a.m. So at six, I like fell asleep right at the rental counter, right in front of it on the floor, <laughs> and I woke up at 8:30, but it was at seven, and there were people all around me like wait, stepping all over me. I was so tired, and then still saw three games, and it was perfect. And again, it actually worked out perfectly because the Steeler game ended at uh, 4.30 and I was able to make the airport. They have a, like the last flight out of Pittsburgh is from the Fort Lauderdale. So I was able to go to the airport and then fly back and uh, fly back. So I was here last night. Eventful week for sure. Yes. What were the other games you uh, took in over the weekend? Well, we saw, I saw uh, Altoona versus State College High School game. One of my friends plays for Altoona. Son plays for Altoona. It was his last game. So you got to see a high school playoff game like that, which is pretty cool. And then Saturday, Penn State, Michigan. And then Sunday, Steelers, Packers. So pretty uh, iconic franchises Penn State Michigan Steelers Packers it was pretty cool I love those weekends where I can see both games on the same Saturdays and Sundays and uh, don't forget of course anywhere on social media you can follow Ira at Ira on sports Thomas Ronjan is going to join us at 745 and this is someone you may not know the name but you've seen this guy's portrayal everywhere in the media for the last month or so it's insane if you hadn't had a television on in the next last three weeks, you wouldn't have seen anything about it. But it's probably the most advertised movie I've ever seen in my life. But it's uh, Next Goal Wins. It's a soccer movie. It's like a Ted Lasso type thing where Thomas Rungan was called to be a soccer coach down in American Samoa for the worst soccer team of all time. And they had lost 38 straight matches, lost a match 31 nothing, And he was given like three weeks to, to coach them. And this is it's a movie Matt Michael Fassenberger is playing in it. All these other stars are in it. And they're really, Disney and Fox are pushing this. And we have the real person, Thomas Rungan, because <laughs> the actor are still sort of with striking in terms of what the strike is over with. They couldn't do the promotion, so we literally had, so we got Thomas on, and this was called, the Republicans called me months ago about this, and I think, this movie could pretty be pretty good, and so I booked it, and it, now it works out perfectly that it's like, it is a great movie, and Thomas also does the uh, announcing on television and radio for Inner Miami, so we can talk about Inner Miami and everything, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, it worked out uh, perfectly timing-wise. Thomas Ranjan joined us at 7.45. Let's start off with NCAA, Ira, and we're getting down to it. Season's almost over. I know you're pretty disappointed about so it. So disappointed, and I am so depressed because it's never going to be like this. Like this, I know is, is like what they say. It's because what's going to happen next year is we're going to have 12 teams, and guess what? Penn State lost. They looked, you know, bad in two games. They'll still make the playoffs. A 10 and two team. Mississippi lost two games. They'll still be in it. Like, but that's why it's just going to take the the excitement of this regular season out. But no, there's eight teams left. There are 10 teams going into the weekend. Two teams eliminated. Penn State and Mississippi now with two losses are both out. And uh, really, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Georgia, and Washington have zero losses. Those five teams do. And then uh, Texas, Bama, and Oregon have one loss. Uh, and the big thing is that Texas beat Alabama. So if Texas and Alabama are both competing, Texas competition will say, hey, look, we beat Bama, so that we should get in over them. But look, we can go through all the different things that could happen. I was waiting for another upsets this weekend, and there were no upsets. It was just the, the, those wins, those games. Nobody got knocked, eliminated, except the teams that were sort of underdogs, Mississippi and Penn State. Uh, this week is a crazy week because Florida State and Bama, I think Bama plays Chattanooga and Florida State plays someone. They're both, they don't even put lines. I mean, it's just like 50 mm-hmm. and over. And then Michigan, Ohio State, and Oregon are all 20-point favorites. So unless we have this major upset in that, the only really big games are Georgia is playing at Tennessee, considering Tennessee just lost by 30 to Missouri. I don't think they're going to have Georgia's got a problem with them. Now, Texas 
Texas is a nine-point favorite at Iowa State. Iowa State could cause Texas problem, and the big game is Washington and Oregon State. Washington's a one-point favorite, but the idea is what what happens if the, these one-loss teams certainly can't afford to lose. I don't think Florida State can have a loss at all. They have this week, and then they play Florida. Or if they have one, if they lose to Florida, they'll be out. So they really can't afford a loss. But but if they go undefeated. Really, how it works out is Michigan State, Ohio State, Florida, Georgia, Washington. If all of these teams uh, go undefeated, then you got your four teams that are that are going to be in there. Maybe Texas will be out. So you want to tell us uh, what's going on with the Michigan scandal here? Because me and you are like the only people on the planet who don't think this is a big deal. I'm a Penn State fan. I've been to 220 Penn State football games, and I just think this is the biggest. I, I, I'm going to take the Michigan side on this. I don't understand it. So there, he's Jim Harbaugh and Connor Stallions was a guy who worked for him. Supposedly went to games and videotaped the games, which of course were on TV. So you can anybody can watch them, and there's a hundred thousand people who go to these games. And but then he charted from the videotape from the angle of seeing where the signs are. Because then they stole the signs. They didn't do like what Belichick was accused of was going and going to during practices and stealing signs. Mm-hmm. This is watching a game that everybody is watching. Now the point is these games were played months ago. Now what what was if you don't change your place, like you go to these bitty league football games where they're done, they're playing flag football, and then they go get juice boxes after the game. They're changing their plays out. <laughs> they don't have the same signs. So James Franklin gets paid ten million dollars a year and all these coaches that are getting seventy five million dollar buyouts and everything like that, they don't change their plays. They should be changing their planes. During the series, let alone from what does it help three months ago? I'm watching the Penn State, and then the thing is, during the game, like I'm sit behind the Michigan bench, so I'm watching Penn State put their signs in, and they're going all the signs, this sign, that sign, all the signs. You're watching it; they have all these assistants that are charting. Those are the signs that are most important. Like you think they're still going to use the same signs from three months ago? I think this is the biggest scandal. The only reason they put this rule in was for cost saving. They said, "Look, everybody, share your tapes, share all the videotapes you have. We don't want you to have to spend scouts to go to all the different games." But who cares? But all these teams do it. I'm telling you, these Big Ten teams that complain, I'm sure there's people that go to these games, maybe they're not sending assistant coaches, but are video- anything with an iPhone. Look at my, go on Iron Sports, look at these great pictures I take. And I took videotapes of the of the signs that Penn State was <laughs> using, so I'll get me in trouble. Penn State could yell. But the point is, and there was this one thing where Penn State was trying to take these pictures, and that Penn State doesn't use the big cardboard cutout things they have. They have um, coaches in different colors, so like red, blue, and green, and different things. And it's like one person has the right signals, the others are are dummies not supposed to follow and they were doing their all their crazy signals and James Franklin runs right in and then sends a signal well the play that he then put in lost two yards it was terrible <laughs> so whatever signal they're doing as I said with Penn State their plays are so confusing and Penn State's offense is so anemic that I'm sure Michigan's probably we want Michigan to try to analyze what plays they are and I just think this is ridiculous. Like, I guess it is a rule that you're not supposed to do this, but it's. It, I think it's totally broken by everyone. And to suspend a coach for three games is ludicrous. This is crazy that this was some sort of advantage at all. It's not like they're taking through their microphones in the helmets. And as we talked about before, if they wanted, they could put this thing in the helmet, then there's no signs, and the coaches don't want it because they all steal each other's signs. I just don't. I think this is, and for the Big Ten to make this quick decision where we've never seen this before, where like in the middle of this, we have to suspend Harbaugh for three games. It has to be suspended the day of the game or the day before the game. It's crazy. The NCAA on college basketball, they suspend these coaches for like four years ago when they talked about someone we don't even know. I, I think, <laughs> But again, I thought it was going to motivate the Michigan players. It did. Um, I think it more so because they're like saying, well, you cheated and this and this. And I think Michigan almost decided to run 32 straight times. They were like saying, we're going to run 32 straight times. We're going to let you know we're going to run 32 straight times. You just can't stop us, Penn State, with this great defense you have. And that's probably to try to prove a point. But it motivated the players because it wasn't like, to me, it wasn't like telling a coach that, oh, they had some impropriety or something with their whatever in terms of what they had to be suspended or with a recruiting violation. That's really telling this team, Michigan, you're really not that good. The only reason you're good is because you cheated. And they don't want to hear that because they know they're better than everyone else. So they went out there and showed against Penn State. They were far better than Penn State. And now there's rumors coming out that Ohio State and Rutgers and some of the other Big Ten schools were talking to to try to beat Michigan. Like, what, what signs did you pick up from Michigan? Everyone's doing this. It's just ridiculous how this has got blown out of proportion. Then I heard that he was on his way to the game when he found out he was suspended. It's just terrible timing and terrible punishment. I'm not a fan. Well, and again, I'm rooting for Penn State to win the game, but I'll root for Michigan from now on because, I mean, I just think that at this point, it's just, I, again, I think it's crazy. I think it's ganging up and how all these athletic directors and, and uh, co- you know, all from other teams, when I know that these players, teams are doing it. Like, people, you're telling me Penn State has 50,000 assistants on the sidelines that they don't have someone who watches Purdue in Indiana, like they need help on that, and they sell Oh, they do this and this. But again, if they're not changing their signs, it's their fault. I mean, if you're so stupid and not change your signs, then that's your fault. You should be changing your signs during the game, not three months ago. And it's ridiculous. Let's talk about uh, Michigan-Penn State because you were there. 
It was an amazing atmosphere. I mean, there was tons of Michigan fans there, tons of them. Was, the weather was perfect, like 50 degrees, a little chilly, but it was 110,856. It's the second biggest crowd ever. Uh, Sharon Moore was the, was the coach of Michigan who was in standing in for Harbaugh. So you had all the issue about the, with this or that. And that there was tons. The game starts at 12, so you had the tailgating. And I'll tell you what, where Penn State is getting criticized a lot is that they, these two games, Ohio State Michigan games, were played when really there was no other big game that was watching. So the whole country watches it because you're now like, Franklin's been there for 10 years. It's like, oh, I don't think Franklin's a good coach, but he's been doing this. <laughs> this record has been going on forever. So uh, this is, this is. I mean, we'll go through the, if you want to go through the game, but it's just that being at Penn State, look, someone should go. It's a phenomenal atmosphere. The tailgating before is amazing, and it's a lot of fun to go to these games, and I love the atmosphere. And the uh, when you go to a Steeler game and a Penn State game back-to-back, you notice, I mean, as much as the Steeler, you're at the Steeler game, and I love going to Steeler games, there is much more, and there's so much patentry at the Steeler game, more than most any other NFL stadiums. But there's nothing like what happens when the bands come out and the pregame and everything like that. I just think it's so cool. I love watching the pregame warm-ups. There's just more. Like when the NFL players warm up, trust me, it's not a warm-up. It's just walk around. The, the college players are actually doing warm-ups. So it's fun watching that and fun with the bands and fun with everything. just makes the game a little more exciting. And the flyover at uh, both stadiums, they used F-18s, which is pretty cool. So That is cool stuff. So you weren't really anticipating Penn State winning this game. You had to be there regardless. But 24-14 is going to be our final. 24-15 is going to be our final. How do we get there? Well, Michigan, what was surprising is that Michigan had the ball first. And, and Penn State, I thought Michigan was coming out super fired up. And they did. But Penn State played well at the beginning of the game. They they sacked McCarthy. They forced him to punt. Then Penn State punt. Michigan punts. But then Penn State had this, I think, one of the key things. They talked to a lot of fans. Penn State had this great drive down. And they got, it was 13 plays, 68 yards. It took like six and a half minutes. And they they, threw, they got, Rod, they got, Singleton had these good runs. They're first and 10 on the Michigan 13. And then they ran for nine yards. It was second and one. So now it's second and one on like the four, three yard line. They got a first down, but then they were stopped. So they had, they ran like six, seven plays under, you know, like the three, four yard line, but could not score. And Michigan's almost like, look, you're not that, you got it down there, but you're not going to score. They're like, three, nothing. Michigan goes down there. And McCarthy, and this is what I said, is McCarthy, his ability to run. He is very athletic. He runs, he goes out, he gets look big run. It was like third and 10. He ran it for 10 yards, got that. And Donovan Edwards had this 22 yard run, was really good. And Corm ran in for a touchdown, made it 7-3. And then Penn State punts, they had three and outs. And uh, and but and then Michigan scored another touchdown. Corman had his 44-yard run. That Edwards had a great run, and I love watching Corman Edwards run because they they run like O.J. Simpson. Like they really know how to cut back, and even if the play is designed some way, they're always going forward. They run similar, and they're both. But I think they're both going to be good NFL running backs. I really like you know watching them. They certainly that's all I did is because Michigan didn't pass the ball, so you watch it. So they got 14-3, and you think, wow, this game could be over. Like Penn State's going to get blown out of this game, and then Penn State came up with. This great touchdown drive. Drew Aller had a run where he scrambled, which is amazing. Catron Kate, Allen, the running back, had a good. And they went on two fourth downs, fourth and six on the 37. Aller threw a pass to Sanders, which is a great pass. And then fourth and one on the Michigan 15, they actually threw a halfback where uh, Aller handed off to Catron Allen, who threw it back to him. And uh, and then Aller ran in for 10 yards. So it's 14-9. The score, you know, it's almost done with halftime. And this is where James Franklin says, it's 14-9. Let's go for two. Now, wait, your offense can't do anything. You have one of the worst <laughs> offenses in football. What are you doing for going for two? And it's not like your defense. Your defense is stopping Michigan. Like, what were you thinking? Yeah, take with, points. Just get a point. Like, you have a great kicker. Like, kick the extra point. No, we're going to go for two. Like, the chance that Penn State was going to score on two was probably 5%. The chance of the extra point was 100%. I didn't understand it. And why are you chasing points in the first half? Like, it was crazy to do that. And I think when they missed it, that was crazy. And then we start the whole thing in the second half where Michigan had decided to have 32 straight runs, which I don't think has happened since 1910 <laughs> in football. And uh, and it started, the, the second half was bad because Aller took the ball and fumbled. It's the only turnover of the game where he fumbled the ball uh, on a run. And, that, uh, and then Michigan gets the ball. They had 12 runs. Then they had this big drive, 12 runs, three first downs, no longer, no run longer than like nine yards. They took a field goal, made it 17-9. So then you're looking at the scoreboard. It seemed like the 17-9 forever. You're looking at the score and you're like, it's eight points. But it should have been 17-10 if they would have took an extra point, which made no sense. Again, it's like, if you look at it, it's so stupid. So the score was 17-9. It seemed like, I said, forever. The next three drives for Penn State, they had 12 plays, 20 total yards, one first down. Michigan had 12 plays, 40 yards, and one first down. And uh, one drive, Penn State had chance they got the ball in the 50 and they're like oh this is our chance this is our chance but uh, there was a penalty on the punt return and there was an intentional grounding and Aller was terrible and threw bad things it was just awful and then there's 453 left in the game and um 
this is where Penn State got the ball back. Like, it's going to be here. This is going to be it. This is going to be the finding moment of Penn State. They're going to change the narrative. They're going to show that in the fourth quarter, they can come in and Franklin can win these games. And it's 453 F. Singleton it ran for four yards and Allen threw two terrible, terrible incompletions. And then, it, then, and then, and then they get the ball back and uh, from their own 30, 421, they have fourth and six, and they go for it, which was absolutely ridiculous. So it's fourth down on their own 20. And they sort of like gave up the game on that point. It's like they still have time. And that's another question. Why would you go on fourth and six? And when you have timeouts and everything. So they go for it. The next play, of course, Michigan runs it in. Quorum runs it in for 30 yards, makes it 24-9 with four minutes left. Game over. Like, and then I know Penn State came down, scored a touchdown, but it was like over or whatever. It was impossible to score. But the point was those two plays, the going for the to two after the touchdown and then going on fourth down with four minutes to go in the game, when, just ending the game right there. It's like it's like he didn't want to keep coaching. I did. It, it was the plays were terrible. Um, J.J. McCarthy, who is a Heisman Trophy candidate, who I listened before Mel Kuyper said, well, I'm going to see Jay McCarthy, Jay McCarthy play in this game to be able to rank him. Well, he threw eight passes, so I think unless he's <laughs> going to play for the Steelers, I'm getting thinking. You know, I, seven for eight for 60 yards. Michigan carried the ball 46 times for 227 yards, three touchdowns. As I said, they carried the ball on 32 straight plays. Now, there was one pass, time when they threw as a pass interference, so it was actually one pass. But literally on the statistics... 32 straight. It's unheard of. I've never seen anything. Even with the worst weather. Remember that game the Bills played the Patriots? Yeah, the Patriots ran the ball every every. every but they must have thrown it one time yeah. in that, I think. But Drew Aller was 10 for 22 for 70 yards and a touchdown. Um, Penn State ran the ball for a total of uh, 164 yards. But they're, like the Penn State star receiver, Kendra Lambert-Smith, had one catch for six yards. And Michigan star had two catches for 24 yards. I talked to these Michigan fans afterwards, and they were mad. They felt that... That it was like Harbaugh told the coaches just to run the ball, and that's what they decided to do because they all have a very good passing game. They just didn't open it up, and they didn't feel like Penn State needed to do it. Um, and, and I think you know Penn State on third down was 414. Total yards was 287 to 238, but really that last drive was 75 yards. That when garbage time, it didn't matter. That at that point, you know everybody had left. That it, it, so really Penn State only had 150 yards for the game, but uh, it was in essence. This was a disaster because they, then Penn State, you know it's a disaster when they fired the offensive coordinator after the game. So a team that is, only, is, is eight and two is probably going to be 10 and two, fires their offensive coordinator, um, who is just, I mean, again, their average with, um, you know, besides the Ohio State and Penn State games, is they're scoring tons of points, but with, though, against Ohio State, they can't score. Um, Franklin's record against top 10 teams is three and 17, one and six at home. He's one and nine in his last 10, last games against those. The only one was Utah in the Rose Bowl. These, but the key stats, three and seven against Michigan, one and nine against Ohio State. He's even against top 25 teams, just 12 and 25. So, and we're going to talk about Jim Fisher in a second. Franklin in 2021 signed a contract for 10 years, 7.5 million a year. That's an extension that he signed. But that was because when Brian Kelly signed that contract in LSU, everybody's afraid that Franklin was going to go to USC or whatever. And that just started this race. That's why Fisher and Franklin both signed those big contracts. I don't think Penn State's going to do what Texas A&M did and fire Franklin, but that was that was I thought interesting that they right now if they fire Franklin, it's like a fifty-six million dollars severance, which they would never do. But it's a disappointing as someone who's a huge Penn State fan. It's very disappointing, and that's why I don't want to talk about sign stealing. I want to talk about why Penn State cannot win these big games, and I do think there's an issue that Penn State has these great recruits and everything, and I think these recruits are thinking about the pros too much and thinking about what they can do to become a professional player, and they get, you know, which is great, phenomenal, because there's so many Penn State players in the NFL, more than was under Paterno. But I feel like they just, in these big games, it just cannot raise the level of their game and the coaching, the preparation, the motivation. And you, this is a game at home they had to win, and they didn't do it. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Follow Ira anywhere across social media at Ira on Sports. Keep it in the Big Ten. Ohio State matched up with Michigan State, and this one wasn't close. It wasn't close, and now Marvin Harrison Jr. made a big case. Seven carries for they won thirty-eight to three. I mean, the line was thirty-two, but Ohio State was missing like three of their star defensive players. But I love how Trayvon, Trayvon Henderson, who scored a touchdown, ran well. Marvin Harrison, seven catches, one hundred fifty yards, uh, for two touchdowns passing and one touchdown running. And then Kyle McCord, the quarterback, who I've been real critical of, actually starting to play better, had a really good game. But that was like Ohio State's just cruising along, and it's, now we're everyone's going to wait for the Ohio State Michigan game. Remember, uh, Harbaugh is suspended this week at Maryland and then he's going to be home against Ohio State and supposedly unless a judge rules differently would be suspended for that game but he still can coach during the week he just can't coach at the game it's kind of such a weird setup what's happening in the Big Ten West well all I'm saying is can you believe I was eight and two and they're terrible you know they played Penn State and got like one first down the whole game so they're not really they're still eight and two but Northwestern Nebraska Wisconsin Illinois and Minnesota are all five and five you 
five teams that have the same 500 record, which shows how pathetic this Big Ten West is. But next week, Michigan is uh, favored by 19 at Maryland, and Minnesota's fate at Ohio State, and Ohio State's favored by 28. Rutgers plays Penn State. To show you how bad this is, Penn State just loses these games. They're still favored by 21 against Rutgers. And this is what, it, again, it's all sets up for the Michigan-Ohio State game in two weeks. Going to the ACC, Miami was taking on Florida State. Florida State's in that mode where they have to win every single week if they want a shot at the playoff because they're not blowing teams out. And this was another win where they let UM hang around 27-20 with the final. Crazy game. I mean, Miami started Emery Williams, who was a freshman, over Tyler Van Dyke. They benched him. And then Emery Williams was not very good. Eight for 23, two touchdowns. And he and then Tyler Van Dyke came in the end of the game and had two for seven with another interception. But it was 10-10 at halftime. Miami was up 13-10. But then Florida State scored 17 points. But then Miami cut the score to 27-20 with eight minutes, and then they had this this pass that you know this 85-yard pass. And 4:20 left, Emory Williams gets hurt, and then they're driving to tie the game. Like they had a chance to tie the game on Florida State when just amazing. But uh, it was just one of those things where Florida State is just <laughs> do not look good in most of these games, and they hung on to win the game. But uh, it's a three-game winning streak now for Florida State over Miami, 16 straight wins for Florida State in the ACC. But uh, and Jordan Travis, 19 for 31, 265 one touchdown. I think he needed to have like Jordan Travis could potentially have won the Heisman. He still might get invited to New York, but he really needed to have this huge, you know, tremendous game. And he did just really didn't have that in this game. But it was it was a rivalry game. They had to win. But they really haven't hit it really doesn't have anything else besides the ACC championship game to make that impression about why he should win the Heisman. But Florida State cannot afford to lose. Otherwise, I don't think they'll they certainly won't be invited to the playoff. Duke took on UNC, usually known for their uh, basketball, basketball. <laughs> rivalry, but this one ended up being uh, had some fireworks as no well. No Riley Leonard, and I want to see Drake Bay at the end of the game. They've been losing, you know, they've lost two games. UNC had two bad losses, but boy, at the end of the game, it was double overtime. They came down. It was it was this crazy. UNC was up 24-16 to start the fourth, and there was like each team was scoring touchdowns back and forth, and in overtime, UNC won. But it was it was like one of those games where I came back after being at Penn State all day, and it was this game was seeming to be going on forever, and it was very impressed that UNC eight and two and Duke was fell to six and four. But they're talking about the Duke coach who used to be at Mike Elko, who used to be at Texas A&M, has been one of the top candidates to get the Texas A&M job. What's uh, coming up for the ACC? Florida State has a real tough one next week against North Alabama. If they <laughs> lost that, I mean, that would be the biggest thing. Louisville was going to be in the ACC championship game against uh, against um, uh, um, against Florida State. They're nine and one. They're at Miami, and so that should be a. They're only favored by one point, which I was shocked. Yeah, I'm that's shocked pretty surprising. That is, so I really would take Louisville against Miami, even though that Emory Williams looks like he's going to be out the rest of the year. So Tyler Van Dyke will get the starting job back, and then UNC is at Clemson. So people, when the year started, were really thought this would be the big game, UNC Clemson, and it really doesn't mean anything because Louisville is going to be in the championship game. Going to the SEC. Georgia doesn't have a problem blowing teams out. They do so on occasion, and they beat up on number nine, Ole Miss. Anybody who loves football should be a fan of Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers had a surgery, and everyone's like, oh, he should be out three, four, five weeks. And we know if fantasy football team players take long. He had a surgery that was supposed to be out like six weeks. He came back in like three yeah. and came back and played 22 well. days, I think. And, <laughs> and uh, like on his ankle and his foot and stuff like that. And, and it's just, he is tremendous. Uh, three catches, 34 yards. Lab McConkie, who was injured, came back and played well. But it's like one of those things where Carson Beck, 300 yards. They actually, they ran for 350 yards and passed for uh, 305 yards. Like 650 yards against Mississippi. And uh, this is a good team. I miss was one loss, and they were ranked ninth in the country, and they blew them out, 52-17, to 17, and they were only a 10-point favorite. But a huge win for Georgia in terms of, I think, putting making that statement where they, if they, even if they lost Alabama, they're like, we're going to be the best one-loss team, even though I don't think they're going to lose to Alabama. But they, they played great that game. Speaking of Alabama, they took on Kentucky. Well, Jalen Milrow, he was 15 for 22, three touchdowns, and then he ran for three touchdowns. So, I mean, an amazing game for him. Here's someone who was benched for the like the first two games of the season. He has developed, and I, Nick Saban made that comment. He goes, I've never had a team that has improved so much. They blew out Kentucky 49-21, they were, and they were up 28-7 at halftime and cruised along. But you really like how Alabama is playing. Now, they you know they have an easy game next week also, and then they have uh, then they play Auburn, and then they play – they're set in the championship game against Georgia. You would think uh, number 13, Tennessee, taking on number 14, Missouri, would be a close matchup, but it wasn't the case. Missouri wins 36-7. to Tennessee, I don't know what, but I, the story of this game is Cody Schechter. He is plays, he's a running back from Missouri. He's one of the first players to have 205 yards rushing and 106, how about this for fantasy, for your fantasy football, 205 yards rushing 
and 116 yards receiving. He was a walk-on. He was a Division II player, walked on Missouri's team, and he puts a performance like that. 321 yards, which is well shy of the, the school's record, but an amazing win for him. Florida uh, locked up with LSU? Yeah, LSU, they won 52-35. They had three losses. The story, and Florida is 5-5 five and five and does not look like they're going to make the bowl, which is just unbelievable. Um, uh, to get the six wins, they could probably have been 5-7. and seven. But Jalen Jaden Daniels, 17 for 26 for 372 yards passing, three touchdowns, and ran. So as much as we were impressed by Cody, I mean, he ran for 12 carries for 234 yards and, and a two touchdowns. He's the first player in FBS history to have 350 yards passing and 200 yards rushing. Uh, just an amazing, and everyone's now making him sort of the Heisman Trophy favorite. But it'll be interesting because he has three losses. Now, back in the day, when the running, they used to give trophy, Heiser trophies, it, the win-loss record didn't matter as much. So maybe he will get it if they don't think Bo Nick should have it. This Heisman Trophy is about as tight as I've ever seen it in terms of who should be getting it. But but Jalen Jaden Daniels really you know made a statement in terms of the but, but the losses to Florida State, Mississippi, and Alabama definitely hurt. Yeah, that's um, it's interesting stuff here. I run Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Interesting stuff with Texas A&M and Mississippi State. This was a game that. Texas A&M wins handily, and somehow both coaches get fired, which I don't think's ever happened in the history of professional sports. How about any professional college, any sports, where after the game is over in the middle of the season, two coaches get fired, like the winning coach <laughs> and the losing coach get fired. So, but A&M, the story is, I think the one is that the Texas A&M coach, Jimbo Fisher, got fired, and he's getting a $75 million buyout, and the Mississippi State coach, Zach Garnett, is getting a $4.5 million buyout. So, <laughs> a little different. Yeah, so, but it was, I mean, the story about this really is that, you know, remember, Jimbo Fisher was at Florida State. He won a national championship, so there's only now three coaches that are coaching Nick Saban, Sweeney, uh, and, and, and Smart, Kirby Smart, have won national championships. They're still coaching, which is amazing. But his, his problem with Jimbo was that he was 1 5 against Alabama. He's only 26 21 in conference, 0 2 versus Clemson, 0 1 against Georgia. And he won 82% of the time when he's a favorite, but only 16% as an underdog. And the pro, again, he got this huge extension in 2021, just like when James Franklin got it. But he's been 1950 his last three years, even though he's the preseason top 10. He, the 21 and 22. Last year, if you remember, he started out, they were like favorite, like the top five in the country. They lose to Appalachian State. They finished <laughs> the year five and seven. This year, they bring in Bobby Petrino as the offensive coordinator, even though Jimbo Fisher is supposedly an offensive genius. So they bring an offensive coordinator. It still wasn't, their record was still six and four. And uh, But it just shows you Texas A&M. They have all the facilities, all the money. They still draw 100 plus thousand fans a game, and they were willing to eat. So it's not just 75 million. They're going to have to pay another coach $75 million. So, and I want to see something everything's on the table, whether it's Deion Sanders, whether it's Urban Meyer. I, I mean, they are willing to spend to win. And I think the reason, I'm going to say the number one reason why they made this move is Texas now is going, I mean, they've been in the SEC for 20-some years. Now Texas is going to the SEC, and they do not, they hate Texas so much, so they're figuring we have to have, they do not want to compete. They don't think they compete with Texas with Jimbo Fisher. And Jimbo Fisher and James Franklin have the same problems. They both recruited so well, so expectations are so high because you say five-star recruit, five-star recruit, five-star recruits. They have the best recruiting class is two years away the number one in the country and then they don't perform and I think that when you don't exceed expectations or that's what happens oh, what's next for them um, the George is favored by 11 against Tennessee. I love Georgia in this game. I think Georgia is like, see, they see the finish line and they're only favored by 11. And then Chattanooga is going against Bama. As I said, if Florida State loses, or if Chattanooga would beat Alabama, it would definitely Chaminade, Virginia, everything. It would go down <laughs> as one of the greatest upsets in the history of sports. Moving over to the Big 12, you had uh, number seven Texas taking on TCU. Weird game. I followed this at the start. Texas was leading 29 to 6 at the half. It looked like it was game 26 to 6 at the half. And they only scored three points the rest the time and TCU almost had a chance to win this game. I mean, they came down and then uh, it was a crazy ending of the game. Uh, the worst thing for Texas though, Jonathan Brooks, their star running back who Mel Kuyper said was going to be the number one running back taken, he tore his ACL at, right at the end of the game. Quinn Ewers was back with 300 yards and a touchdown, but I think this is going to hurt Texas going against that game against Iowa State. But boy, you can't be excited when you're up, you know, you almost lost the game where, where Texas TCU had a chance with the ball to win the game. Wild, uh, wild results here with Oklahoma State and UCF. Okay, this is about Oklahoma State. They beat Oklahoma in Bedlam. They're ranked 15th in the country. They're 6-3. and three. They're playing unranked UCF, who was 4-5 and five going in the game. They lost 45-3. to three. UCF was able, I mean, I, can you imagine an unranked team beating a ranked team 45-3? to three, Just the craziest year for, and this is a team, Oklahoma State, that also lost to South Alabama. So this is, this is the craziest thing I can imagine. Oklahoma took on West Virginia, and it wasn't close. You know, 59-20, but that's one thing. Again, that Bedlam game 
State was where do you expect after the game? It was huge. Oklahoma State wins, and then they end up losing, and Oklahoma has that big win afterwards. What's coming up for the Big 12? And then the, the Texas-Iowa State game, which I think is going to be one of – Everybody that is like the Michigan Ohio State, everybody who thinks they might lose, and they want Texas to lose because Texas loses, and that opens up a spot in the playoffs. Moving over to the Pac-12, you got Washington taking on Utah, and Washington's another one. I don't want to say on the level of Florida State, but they don't seem to beat up on people. Ever since the game against Oregon, they have looked. It's like that Oregon game took all their powers out, and you're just waiting for them to come because Utah was up, uh, you know, was it leading 28-24 at the, at the end of the half, and they had scored four straight touchdowns. Washington's defense is terrible. And then it was like it was one of those things where Washington, the only amazing thing, Washington, like, got a pick six, and as he's running the end zone, he dropped the ball, like, on the one-yard line, one of those stupid plays to celebrate, and then that got it. But then they got a safety after it, so it helped them to do it. But Michael Pettix Jr., 24-42, 332 yards, two touchdowns. He's another one of the favorites for the Heisman Trophy. But uh, they've won 17 straight games. Their 10-0 mark is the best since 1991 when they won the national championship. But again, that uh, it was not Utah's a tough team, but it was at Washington. Washington just hasn't played very well. Oregon took on USC. This game is 36-27 final in favor of Oregon. I thought Oregon was going to score 60 points against well, this USC I, defense. I think it was one of those things where they they were up by that much, and Bo Nix was you know tremendous. 400 yards, four touchdowns. I think Bo Nix should win the Heisman. Um, they had 550 two yards against USC's 379. They were up 22-14 and a half. They made it uh, 36-14, and then USC scored a couple touchdowns at the end. But uh, it was, look, USC, again, Caleb Williams, the superstar, uh, he's great, 19 for 34, 291, one touchdown. But there is some starting against some criticism because he sort of, he abandons the plays too much. As you could see his frustration that he's just running around, trying to throw. He's not really set in motion. And I think this is just an indictment of Lincoln Riley. Now, they fired their defensive coordinator two weeks ago. But uh, this is a team you USC that everyone thought was going to be at least competing for the college football playoffs. They're seven and four, and they have one more game. And this is the last game to UCLA. Might be Caleb Williams' last game as a college football player, the defending Heisman Trophy winner. And finally, Arizona took on Deion Sanders University. Yeah, so when we talk about this all the time, Colorado they started out so hot, and now they're four and six. They're four and six, and uh, it was one of those things where you know Colorado was up 31-24. Arizona tied it. Uh, Colorado then punts and they missed the field goal, and Arizona then controlled the ball the whole way down, was able to run it out and kick the field goal to win. And uh, this is really, again, Colorado was, the, everyone was talking about them. I was talking about them. We had people and everything. And, you know, they beat TCU and they beat Nebraska and they beat Colorado State. Those aren't the biggest names. And I think, you know, and I, and I think when Dion kept saying, what I said is they were going to have trouble because when he put a target on their back by saying, do you, we believe, do you believe, do you believe we're so great, we're this, he's putting pressure on his players and he doesn't have Michael Irvin, he doesn't have Jerry Rice, doesn't have Steve Young, Troy Aikman, he didn't have the players, so I think he should have been a little more understated, like we're, we're growing, we're building. I think when he's saying we're here and we arrived, don't tell people you arrived when you really aren't there yet, and I think that's what happened there. <laughs> TCU being a playoff team last year kind of gave the impression that this team was much better. they lost all their players. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's next for the back 12 Just, it's a big week. UCLA's at USC. USC's favored by six and a half. I love that. Colorado's playing Washington State. They, I'm telling you, they're, they're a four and a half point game under that under underdog that game. And the two big games are the Washington Oregon State game. Oregon State's favored by one. And Washington could actually, you know, this is that's going to be a great game. Oregon State only has two losses, and the Oregon is heavily favored over Arizona State. Moving over to the NFL, you were at. Uh... You were at Akershore Field for the Packers and uh, Steelers. Love that game. I mean, you talk about history in a game. I mean, the Steelers have won um, six Super Bowls. Packers won four. And they've won 13 total championships. And these are some of the oldest teams. In, and the fan bases are the most traveling fan bases. I love their uniforms. They're iconic. Like, you go back and look at the Steelers in the 70s that they're wearing the same color same scheme. Uniform. The Packers are doing the same thing. Maybe some little trim is something different. But I just love it. And you just love it. And, you know, one thing from the North the Penn State Michigan game – I see a lot of these games like couples come and the couple that sat next to us one was I think the the woman was a, a, a Steeler fan and her uh, boyfriend was a, was a Packer fan so they were like do you, have, do you have any bets on this game who's going to do the chores and stuff mm -hmm. like that so that was pretty fun but it was it was great and uh, oh, well, one thing about this game is it's the Steeler stadium where I was sit I sat low for the game so the couple there's a couple in front of us and the guy kept like putting his arm around his girl but when he did that it's like there's no room to put your legs so he kept knocking over like it was like crazy i'm like this is not a romantic setting like this is not like we're watching a random group we're watching steelers versus packers i do not think it's a time to put your arm around anybody <laughs> just focus on the game it's a waving the terrible towels but again the game was cool they had uh, the the flyover was cool the the weather was great the fans it was just it was, i love that the atmosphere of the game in terms of a steeler game when you can enjoy it it's not so super cold
Let's talk about the game. It was a nice win for the Steelers, 23-19. And this is one, like, if, if you look at the standings, it's kind of wild to think that they have the same record as the Dolphins, who some people think might be the best team in the league. Mike Tomlin doing it again with, with, with less, it seems like. The Steelers finally got some offense. And I think the story of the game was Jordan Love and Kenny Pickett, the two quarterbacks. And, um, you know, when I was flying, I, I was saying, what, what comparison can I make between Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers? And I was flying in spirit. And I flew down here, and I had extra leg room. And I when I flew to Pittsburgh, I didn't. And the difference between having that extra leg room on a spirit flight is like Jordan Love <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers. But um, I... I, it was it was interesting. I think Jordan Love needs to run the ball more. Like I think if you said who's a better quarterback, I think Jordan Love's better than Kenny Pickett. But Jordan Love is athletic, but he would be outside the pocket. And I'm like, just gain ten yards. And at the end, the last drive he ran. But and you could see he has these great fourth quarter comebacks and he runs. Uh, Pickett, same thing. He's inconsistent in his passing. It's just unbelievable when you're there in person and you're seeing it. It's just he's not a. I don't know. You know what? Kenny Pickett has played football at the Acrisure Field. He played all four years of college, so he's used to the stadium more than almost any other core. You know, nobody plays this many games, and he seems so uncomfortable. He makes mistakes, and I just... I'm not. I'm starting not to be so sold on him, even though he's six and three. But Penn State got. I mean, Penn State. The Steelers got out to a seven zero lead. Green Bay match made it seven seven. Steelers scored a touchdown. They were up seventeen seven. I think the Steelers fans were like, "What? Seventeen points? Like this is crazy. We've never <laughs> seen anything like that." And then Green Bay was on third and sixteen, and Love threw to Jalen Reed a touchdown, made it seventeen thirteen. And this was the key play of the game because we talk about extra points. One thing with the Penn State game, they went to kick the extra point, and Patrick Peterson blocked the extra point. And when do you see blocked extra point? Like rare but that point cost them that was the difference of the entire game 17-13 for Patrick Peterson Green Bay gets the ball to start the third and it was like this game of field goals where they had three field goals Steelers had a field goals and they made it 20-19 to and the Steelers had a good drive couldn't score made it 23-19 so there's five minutes left and that final five minutes of the game was insane Packers go down to the 14 and Jordan Love throws, throws to Watts in the end zone is defended by Patrick Peterson he tips the ball up Neil gets it as interception and they run it out and then the Steelers get the ball back. So the Steelers had the ball three minutes ago. Of course, they totally messed this entire thing up. And they ended up punting the ball. I, they, they went for a pass where they could have, you know, given the Packers maybe like 20 seconds ago. Instead, they give them a minute to go with the ball back. So now the Packers get the ball with a minute to go. They drive down to the 20. And it's like one of those things where it was a 46-yard to Jalen Reed. It was second and 10 on the 16, three seconds left. So this is like the final play of the game. But remember, on those two final drives, if they had that extra point, it had been 23-20. 20, not 23-19, they could have kicked a field goal. So that's why Peterson's block was so, so, so important. And uh, they ended up uh, getting interception at the end of the game. Jordan Love was uh, um, was two touchdowns, two interceptions, pick it through for 120 yards. Could you believe this? 120 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. And the only thing that was really good from the Steelers' perspective offensively, they're off their running game. But the Packers are the worst team against the run. The Steelers are the worst team for the run. But I think the worst <laughs> team with the run, Warren ran for 100 yards, Harris ran for 82 yards and uh, um, that was like but if you look at Pickett's last few games is 73 yards against Jacksonville where he got hurt but he played a lot of the game 160 against Tennessee 126 against Green Bay he's just almost regressing as a passer yeah. I mean I mean <laughs> Kenny uh, uh, George Pickens was mad he got like whatever two, three passes for 45 yards DeAndre Johnson only had one catch I mean their star receiver won um, the other interesting thing about the game uh, Matt Canada. So he's been criticized like Penn State's offense coordinator for doing a poor job calling plays. So he's on the sidelines and he does something. When you're there in a game, you see something that you don't when you watch on TV. He calls the plays and he turns his back to the field. Now he calls the plays and he turns his back. I'm like, would you want to know like what the lineup is? Mm -hmm. Like he literally sometimes will then start to get another position. So he doesn't walk backwards. Like I'd be walking backwards to get a different view, but he's walking like the, to his back. Like doesn't he want to see? I, I don't never see That's anybody. Weird. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Like if I, I couldn't believe it but and he it's just uh and he only talks to, to Pickett. he doesn't talk to the other offensive players on the sidelines which i think is really like talk the other players play too um but one last thing about the steelers uh, broderick jones their they first round draft pick who i was criticized a little when the season started the reason they're running so well he really is playing well he's 77 he's huge he's really developing i, I said it would take some time like wow i'm real impressed at how he has offensive linemen so it's not a wasted off a first round pick
Ira on Sports Trulli Channel. We only have about two or three minutes, so we have to get to Thomas Ronjan. So we have to fly. San Francisco take it on Jacksonville. A lot of people thought Jacksonville was should have been the favorite in this game. I thought they were crazy. I knew San Francisco was going to have this one in the bag. Wow, thirty-four to three. Brock Purdy came back, had a huge game. McCaffrey, Kittle, everything. Trevor Lawrence. And this is a terrible defeat for Jacksonville. I mean, San Francisco is playing a one o'clock game, flying across the country. They had lost three in a row, and then they come back and had this huge thirty-four three to win. Cleveland taking on Baltimore, and this is a game that looked like Baltimore put Cleveland away, and the next thing you know. Cleveland's right there. It was Baltimore a wild starts finish. the game with a pick six. They they're up thirty. They're up seventeen, uh, fourteen nothing. They're up thirty-one seventeen with eleven minutes left. But Lamar Jackson had a pick, had, threw a pick six, which was just awful at the end of the game. Um, and then Cleveland had the ball five minutes left. They ran the clock out and kicked a forty-yard field goal. Really a bad loss for Baltimore. I mean, the two best defenses they gave up both a lot of points. I mean, the over no one thought was going to be the score, but a big win for Cleveland. Deshaun Watson had this by far best game of the year, and just a bad loss. For Lamar Jackson, for Baltimore, and also for Lamar Jackson as an MVP, just a it's terrible loss. But they're still seven and three. The whole the whole central is six and three and seven and three. Cincinnati uh, lost to Houston here. This is one that CJ Stroud. I mean, every week he just does something more impressive. He does impress him. I went back and watched the game today a little bit. I, he did throw an interception with 3:41 left, and then uh, then they scored because they did have the lead. They had it. They were up 27-17, which I think is more impressive than after Burrow threw two back-to-back interceptions. But then uh, then he led them down again, like he did last week for that game-tying field goal. He's really great at the end of the game, just just as he did against Tampa Bay. He was 356 yards, one touchdown, one interception, but he did lose two fumbles. But again, his team, he's, his team is now five and four, and this is a team that was terrible. That's why the two second pick in the draft last year. They won two games. So huge turnaround for Stroud and Amico Ryan's their coach, tremendous. I mean, I saw them remember, I was at the Steeler Houston game. I thought they were phenomenal at that game, but uh, but a big upset, a big win for them over Cincinnati. Indy taking on the Pats, and I feel sorry for people in Germany having to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the fiftieth game, and uh, we. I it was like it was shocking is that the last play, Mac Jones, it was 10-6 Indianapolis. They won, and uh, Patriots were driving or trying to drive. They got the ball for the final possession or next to final possession. Mac Jones threw an interception and. And then I come out, I'm like, did he get hurt? Because Bailey Zappi, on the last possession, they put Bailey Zappi in and replaced Mac Jones. It is a total mess. I really think a part of it is Bill O'Brien. You, you know Bill O'Brien has his reputation of being this great genius. But now, this whole Brady-Belichick thing, I think it's almost karma. I really do. And I think if Belichick has any fire, it's like the fact that he drove Brady out. I think if this was still kept Brady there, he'd have more goodwill with him. But I think people blame him for getting rid of Brady so early. And when you listen to Brady on his interviews, it's like, why would you not want to have him still be on that team and still be the coach and and uh, it's a big mistake for Belichick, and I think now he's paying the price two and eight. The New, New England Patriots. You want to uh, fly through the rest of these games? We got to get Thomas Ronjan. Yeah, Tennessee, Tampa. Uh, Tampa wins twenty to six. Uh, Baker Mayfield, big game. That was a big win for them. They had lost four in a row. New Orleans and Minnesota. What uh, Minnesota wins 27-19. Josh, Josh Dobbs. Dobbs. <laughs> I mean, seven teams. Seven, it's like why couldn't he be at the Jets? He was available for the Jets. Yeah, they the traded. First thing I thought. They traded him for sixth round draft picks. Now he's had two wins in a row. He was two hundred sixty yards, one touchdown. Play great. Remember, they don't have. Justin Jefferson. They have all these injuries. They still haven't been winning. Dallas beats the Giants 49-17. Um, absolutely amazing. They now won 40 to nothing. 49-17. Dak was you know tremendous. They, it was the second most yards the Giants have ever given up, and the second most yards that Dallas has ever you know had in a game. Uh, Detroit and the Chargers. I cannot believe Brandon. All these coaches getting fired. Brandon Staley. It's terrible. Four and five. He has no defense whatsoever. He's a defensive coordinator. Detroit wins, but it's a game that you've watched it and you're like, what is going on? Justin Herbert just keeps scoring and scoring and scoring. Could someone play defense for the Chargers um, for that? And then we, well, uh, we'll talk about Monday Night Football when we get back. Let's go to Thomas Ronjan. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, and we're so excited to talk to Thomas Ronjan, who, if you're watching television at all for the NFL over the last couple of days, you have seen commercials for Next Goal Wins, this movie from Disney, Pixar, like pictures coming out, and Thomas, is it's based on Thomas. So, Thomas, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. No, no, no problem. You're right. It's one of those, those badass moments, you know, where you get to answer the question, who should play me in a movie? Well, it's Oscar and Golden Globe nominee, supervillain, by the way, Magneto, Michael Evan Fassbender. How's your day going? That's the way I feel it when I, when I see these commercials now. It's pretty fun. 
<laughs> That's great. So for people who don't understand, I mean, people say, well, there's a soccer movie, but this is clearly a crossover movie where you don't have to watch any. You don't have to sit there at 5 in the morning and watch Premier Cup and get up early. You, you don't have to be a soccer fan, know the rules. You can just enjoy this movie, uh, uh, Next Goal Wins. And tell us a little about it's based upon your somehow American Samoa contacted you with, with a track record of soccer to coach their team, one of the worst teams uh, in the history of soccer. Yes. I mean, it, it's based on the original documentary in 2014, and it's a real-life story of the American Samoa national team You know that follows the emotion, learnings of a group of players looking to do their country proud. You know, this team lost in 201, 31 to nothing against Australia, which is the worst ever defeat in World Cup qualifying. They've been outscored since that time, 229 to nothing. They ranked last, so they were the worst team in the world when I finally Googled this after I accepted the job. And and Don't you think you should have Googled before? I mean, what is the next thing you should have Googled before you accepted the job? No, I mean, listen to this. So I, I coached at the time I was the head coach of the uh, U.S. Olympic team. And as you know, with the Olympic team, guys come in for a few weeks, you play some games, they go back to their club. So I had some time off, and our current president at that time was Sunil Gulati. And he calls me and he goes, could you help um, a territory of the United States called American Samoa? Uh, since you get a month off, it will be like a three-week thing. So I looked at my wife and go, Where's American Samoa? So she Googled it. She goes, it's next to Fiji. So I go, yeah, I'll take it. No problem. <laughs> then, I go, then I Googled it, and then I realized, okay, this is, uh, this is going to be uh, fun. And it turned out to be, obviously, a one hell of a ride, both professionally and, and, and personally. Fast forward, we eventually win a game, score a goal. And there's just a great story attached to that. Not only do I play the first ever Fafafina, as the Polynesians say, it's a, it's a transgender, very much accepted there in an official World Cup qualifying game. But the winning goal is scored by a 17-year-old that I saw in a high school game my second day on the island. And I go, I want, it was a high school final American football. Because American football and rugby are bigger in soccer in American Samoa. And I said, I want this guy. And the president goes, he's never played soccer. I said, I don't care. He scores the winner, and he ends up being uh, eventually playing in the NFL. <laughs> How crazy is that? Wow, that's, that's amazing. Now, did you, like, you know, soccer movies are popular. Like, I have to say, I'm going to miss something. My favorite Will Ferrell movie is Kicking and Screaming. I love it. Now, I'm not the only person out there who says the favorite Will Ferrell movie, but I love Kicking and Screaming, and I suggest everybody watch Kicking and Screaming. Then there's Ted Lasso, and there's some other soccer movies. So have you seen, like, what is your favorite? Before, of course, Next Goal Wins is your favorite soccer movie. Besides that, what has been your favorite soccer movie? Oh, my God. i I, I, I got to go with... Uh... Bend it like Beckham. Um, eh, there was one other one. I can't even remember the name now that played during the war with Stallone and quite a few. Uh, oh, former. yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, that was awesome. That was a good yeah. one. Yeah. But no, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to Corning side since I call all the Inter Miami games and um, I've not become pretty friendly with, 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 with Beckham uh, since he stops by our, our pregame show once in a while and. Has been very good with that. I'll, I'll go with Bennett, 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 like Beckham. Although we all got to admit, Cat Lasso is pretty darn good. You know, it's not a movie, but uh, and, and this one is a little bit like, you know, think of Cat Lasso meets Pool Runnings by the way of the Mighty Ducks with Watiti's distinctive brand of of humor. You know, um, so that, that's that's pretty cool. Now, you were involved, like, when they were making the movie, how were you involved? Did they have you on set? Did you take consultations? Uh, did they just, like, uh, how were you involved in the making of the movie? Interesting part. So in 2014, at the Tribeca Film Festival, when the documentary comes out, I'm sitting in between The Rock, because The Rock was in New York, and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll help promote the movie. I'm from uh, Samoa. Um, and next to The Rock is a smaller guy that introduced himself, but I forgot his name. Fast forward to 2017, uh, 
somebody calls me and goes, I don't know if you remember, but my name is Taika Waititi. I just, uh, I'm, I'm doing a Thor movie for uh, Disney and Searchlight, but I want to go back to my Polynesian roots because he's from New Zealand. And I go, I wanted uh, Russell Crowe to play you, but uh, and he's my best friend, but he's overweight, so there's no <laughs> way you can do that. So I picked Michael Fassbender. And I was supposed to go to Hawaii where they did the shooting, but two days before that, he calls me and goes, Michael Fassbender is so focused, has done so much research, he doesn't, ret- he doesn't want to be thrown off. And I, I, I respect that, you know, if, uh, I don't know how actors people actors prepare so i didn't go i by the way i've never spoken or seen or met michael fassbender um because he wasn't allowed because of the strike to go to two big festivals berlin and um the Toronto international film festival so i've never met the guy that's playing me quite frankly and will not uh, probably for a long time so that's pretty remarkable as well in itself it's crazy. You do the story. He actually plays you in a movie. You don't talk to him, but now that he's, because of the strike, isn't able to promote it, you're the one out there doing all the promotions to the movie. So Correct. it's, like, it's exactly. like you guys are tag-teaming this whole thing. It's pretty cool. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it is great. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, you know, we're going to go back to your, in terms of the soccer. We're down here in West Palm Beach and, and for yep. Lauderdale and Broward County. I, I listen to you guys. Because I love all, I love all sports, <laughs> and uh, so you know it is. I went to a, the Inter Miami match, one of the matches this year. The excitement, uh, DRP's Pink Stadium, everything about it is great. It's my first soccer match, I have to admit, you know, to go to it. But uh, just the excitement, the fact that people. I, I said on my show it was a Saturday night. I was at a club in Palm Beach, and everyone was like cheering at this club, just watching one of the Inter Miami matches. It's really taken over messy media oh of South Florida. Un- unbelievable, and, and Ira, I go back to. The Pele NASL era when it came to this country in the mid 70s. And Pele put soccer on the map. Fast forward maybe to um, the 94 World Cup, which is a big watershed moment as well. The start of MLS in 1996, where I was part of as the head coach uh, of one of the teams. I coached four teams in MLS and was fortunate enough to, to win a, a trophy as well. You then talk about David Beckham and the designated player rule that allowed now Messi and company to be part of Inter Miami. And, and I knew it was big, but it, it, it dwarfs Pele, Beckham, uh, the World Cup by a long shot. You're right. It's just incredible what Messi has done for the game. In, in general, um, the first active player in MLS to win a Ballon d'Or, which is insane uh, in itself. Um, and, and yes, I, 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 I can't wait to do actually the playing the game on uh, the playing the game on Friday before he leaves to play two big World Cup qualifying games. One is against Brazil to qualify for the next World Cup. So we'll give him a nice farewell on, on Friday. But you're right, the impact that he has in South Florida. The jerseys I see now, not just Messi, but Busquets, Alba, potentially Luis Suarez might come as well. So it's all good in South Florida. We've become, Ira, the sports city in the world. You look at <laughs> no, you look at the Heat, you look at the Panthers, you look at some of the Polish teams who went through the Final Four and Finals. You look at Inter Miami right now. We're, we're kicking butt, dude. The whole world is, is, is looking at South Florida. So you're the radio broadcaster for Inter Miami. You're yep. there, and and Messi comes. That announcement came. It comes in the middle of the season. You have to be surprised about how he just just embraced the team. I mean, he didn't start at the beginning of the season. There was no training camp. He just comes in, and suddenly the team. It's almost like your movie, Next Goal Wins. It just turns the whole team around, starts winning games, fans coming out, all that excitement. And it's really a testament to Messi's ability to not just be a great player and the talent, but also his leadership ability and his ability to, to get put a team together. Incredible. Quick story. In 205, I was the head coach of our under-20 men's national team and we we qualified for the world cup in the netherlands and our first game is against argentina and we're up one nothing and in the second half here is Lionel messi 
making his first appearance as a 17-year-old oh, for, Ar- for the Argentinian. We, we win the game. So I could say I've coached against Messi and we beat him one nothing, which is true. We lose in a round of 16 against Italy. They go on to win the tournament. He becomes the golden boot winner. Um, and now fast forward to now. And, and, and yes, he showed exceptional. You knew he was special. But what he's done over time, are you right? The greatest players in the world make other players and teams better. And he's such a great guy as well. He's a team guy. Um, and he could be a... He could be an asshole because he's 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 he's, he's, he's the all time best, but he's not. You know, just just being able to win our first tra- trophy, our travel with the team to Nashville, and for him to give the armband back to DeAndre Yetlin, who'd given that to Messi in his first game and said, "You are our captain." Those are little things that not a lot of big time players would do, and there's quite a few players, including Robert Taylor, that have benefited from. Messi's presence. You're right. He's, he's, a, he's a winner, uh, the most accomplished guy in terms of winning trophies. And, and he'll win more here with Inter Miami, who should be by far going into next year the MLS favorite and the team to beat. Is there any way to do something in terms of the leaving? Like, I, it's hard to follow the schedule. It's hard to follow. I mean, I'm someone from – it's like Patrick Mahomes doesn't leave the Chiefs to go play for something we don't miss it in a game. Is there something MLS can do to – but from an American perspective, we just don't see our star players just leaving not their teams. I mean, LeBron James doesn't leave the Lakers to go play another game. He's always – you know, unless he's hurt, he's playing the game. So is there a way they could pick two, that next year? Two things that will happen, Ira, due to Messi. One – the purse strings will open up a little bit. I know that there are internal discussions from quite a few other owners that are saying this might be the route to go. We have to spend a lot of money, but we would get a lot of return because let's be real honest, everybody is benefiting financially from Leo Messi. And that's not just Adidas and Apple, but that's opposing teams that sell out, you know, Atlanta 72,000, although he didn't show up. And that was <laughs> no. And, 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 and the reason um, because he he had played when he got here, he played every week two or three games. It didn't stop, and then he had to go to Argentina to play World Cup qualifying games, and that's where he got injured. And all of a sudden, everybody in MLS is saying, "Oh my God, we we can't have our biggest star in the world getting injured. Why did he get injured?" And then. You go into, hey, guys, the congested schedule. We need to take breaks during the <clears throat> FIFA international window like the rest of the world does, which we haven't. We need to stretch our season a little bit, which we haven't, because we don't want to fight against uh, the NFL right now. So we found windows to do that. But the schedule has become so congested. I, I think that, that there will be changes there as well. I don't think we'll go to the real FIFA calendar, which is, you know, in all countries in the world, starts in August and stops somewhere in May. But I think that there will be some adjustments that clearly has to do with with Messi uh, being here and his contractual situation and also his injuries due to playing too many games, that that will happen next season. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Inter Miami could play 60-plus games next year MLS, U.S. Open Cup, Nations League, which will continue between the Mexican teams and the U.S. teams. Due to the fact they won the Nations League, they're in the CONCACAF Champions League, and that starts uh, in March. That's potentially another you know, eight or nine games. Then you throw in World Cup games, uh, or Copa America, that will be held next year in the United States. Yeah, changes need to be made in order for um, the league to function better. And also, let's be real honest, you know, people buy tickets, and during those international windows, when the best players, not just Messi, but the best players in MLS represent their countries, you're cheating the fans as well, who see a team with, you know, second-string players. So those things need to be addressed, will be addressed, in my opinion, and it will be more flexibility, hopefully, next year. 
Oh, I'm glad you agree with me because, you know, people tell me, they're like, oh, Ira, you don't understand soccer, you don't understand the rules, you don't know what they do. And I'm like, I think you still want the players to play. And it was so hard. I remember I was, like, trying to buy for the match. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Is this or that? So it's great. So anyway, we've been talking to Thomas Rungan. Next goal wins. I'm so excited for this movie to come out. I mean, it seems to be got, – it's got great reviews. I mean, it's what's winning every film festival, the excitement, I think, and uh, it comes out November 17th, but we're seeing all the ads on the – for it now so you must be so super excited you know that the movie the final day when it's going to be in the theaters is coming just you know very shortly uh, i'm 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 absolutely pumped um and this is the world's game so somebody in tokyo will watch this game somebody in liberia will watch this game somebody in buenos aires clearly with the 2026 world cup coming up as well and it being the biggest sport in the world that taiki watiti doesn't know much about and he said that uh, and also, he said, I had to twist the truth a little bit. Otherwise, uh, watch the documentary. So there's a lot of things. I've seen the movie twice now uh, that are not factual uh, if you base it on the documentary. But still, you're right. Michael Evan Fussbender is playing me. How's your day going? <laughs> you're so funny. Thomas, thanks so much for coming on Iris Sports. I'd love to have you back when inter- for next season for Inter-Miami because we'd love to have you come back and talk about the season because it's going to be it's gonna be a wild ride here in South Florida for MLS. You, you got my number. Reach out anytime if you want to talk a little uh, soccer when, when, when Inter-Miami again starts up. No, no doubt. Love it. All right. Thank you so much, Thomas. I really appreciate it. We do have some breaking news. Uh, Rookie of the Year's have been announced. Corbin Carroll for the NL predicted that in April, and Gunnar Henderson of the of the Baltimore Orioles won for the uh, American League. I think you predicted it last April. Yeah. You've been talking about Corbin Carroll forever. So <laughs> Next I, Mike Trout. Again, you, if you would have bet the whole Arizona, I don't think you'd be doing the show with us right now. You'd be driving your uh, uh, Maserati, Maserati around somewhere. <laughs> Tonight, Buffalo, Denver, seven and a half points heading to Denver's direction. Buffalo hasn't looked that great. I might take the points in this one. I don't know what you're thinking. I, I'm going to take Buffalo because I think they, they because they haven't looked good, and I can't bet on Denver at all with Sean Payton and Russell <laughs> Wilson. But I really think that this is a game where I mean, I know Buffalo. Denver's won two in a row. Buffalo has lost three of five games, but Denver's defense is one of the worst in the league. And I think Josh Allen. This is like this is a last stand for the Bills. Circle the wagons, as uh, Chris Berman used to say, and win this game. <laughs> Thanks so much to Thomas Rong and he's Ira Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Iron Sports.